This is Susan Eisenberg, and you are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. conversation of should it affect the story at all? Should it affect the writing? You know, I've had people say, oh, you should just write her like you'd write, you know, anybody and just ignore the fact that she's a woman. And I'm just kind of like, well, what, what is that supposed to mean? You know, she's a person. She's a, she is a, uh, she is a very strong character and that's, and her being a woman is part of that strength. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Well, when when Guardians first came out, no one really knew what to expect of it, and then all of a sudden it hit in the summer, and it was yeah. That's the thing is when it, <laughs> before it came out, because everybody was used to like um, Captain America and Iron Man and all the standard superheroes, right? And uh, and you know we saw the trailer for Guardians, and every, first of all, half the people were like, "Who?" Yeah. And then the other half, <laughs> "Wow, this is such a different tone because it was funny, right. it was irreverent." You know? It was it was a little bit you know it was reverent you know the whole scene with him mm-hmm. like doing the the, the middle finger and uh, it looked it just seemed so very different from all their other right. films that they're like is this gonna be the first flop I don't know well and then people talked about the original comics were were very different as well I've never read them but I remember my brother in law who's a huge comic fan knew about them and he was like well they're making a movie about this like <laughs> well the thing with the comics is that I mean the Guardians were originally created back in the 60s right and um there have been so many different very like the book has been restarted four or five times over the years mm-hmm. and uh, each time the 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 group like the actual cast of the guardians is different and even when they're the same characters like peter quill his backstory his history his motivation his personality i mean they were never consistent you know yeah. i mean Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, you know, Iron Man, they, they've been all over the spectrum, too, over the years. But, you know, the Guardians cast was really all over the place with just who they were and where they came from and why they were. Um, so I think that was a big reason for her choosing those characters when she first started was that, you know, it has this. First of all, nobody really knows who they are. Right. And they have this really interested, convoluted history that I can sort of take and remold to be something that's my own exactly so if you don't know what we're talking about <laughs> um we i guess we didn't even we didn't even launch into it hey you're on the great beautiful you're listening to the great beautiful podcast right now twitter and facebook at the gbb podcast but today we are interviewing a fantastic screenwriter and she's just involved in so many different projects yeah and this i have to say peeling back the peeling pulling back the curtain a little bit right. um I first got in touch with Nicole Perlman months ago. Um, and at the time she said, you know, I'd love to do it, but there's not really much I can say about anything that I'm working on right now because <laughs> everything was still under wraps. So she said, you know, if you want to wait, you know, I can talk a little bit more freely about what I'm doing. 
And ironically, we waited and, you know, we had a, this is a great conversation, but there is still so much she's involved with that she still just can't really talk about. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a credit to her because Guardians was her first produced screenplay and it, it sort of it launched her into outer space in terms of her career. And so, you know, she she was the original writer on Guardians of the Galaxy. She is the co-writer of Captain Marvel, which is coming up in 2019. Um, she is writing with Alex Hirsch, Alex Hirsch, um, a new Pokemon movie called Detective Pikachu. Um, she's got a show coming up on Amazon. It's going to be an Amazon original. And she's also attached to the, quote unquote, the Hasbro cinematic universe with visionaries, ROM, mask. Um, so she's, um, she's, she's a, she's a busy woman and, and everything that she's working on is just so interesting right. to me and like all really high up on my list of things that I'm looking forward to. She sounds like she has a lot of free time on her hands. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. Just a ton. Just a ton. So this was a fantastic conversation and we get into a lot of really cool things and I can't wait for you to hear it. So we're going to go play it for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It is just a thrill to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to uh, to chat with you guys. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit, and uh, I understand you have a your degree is in film and dramatic writing from Tisch. Is that correct? That's right. Do you think that um, that prepared you for what you're doing today? Because you know, I know a lot of people when they think about, oh, I want to become a writer or I want to become a screen screenwriter, um, they they often have that internal debate about whether those professional programs are actually worth it or not. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's a fascinating question. Um, I would say that usually the, the the best thing that you get out of film school is meeting other people who are driven and passionate and are most likely going to be uh, working with you during, you know, everybody sort of rises together and goes out into different parts of the industry. And that network that you create is is really the most important part of film school. I will say that um, I don't really work too much with people that I went to school with because I, I, I went to NYU on the East Coast and I'm primarily doing work on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I would have to say that my experience with NYU might be different than what people um, get from it now, because this was, you know, 13 or 14 years ago, and I went as an undergrad. Um, But I I would say that the best thing about my my undergraduate experience was living in New York and being exposed to a tremendous amount and, and variety of theater and films that I might not have seen if I was going to uh, a school that maybe was more focused on the actual day-to-day of how to survive as an artist in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but that said, I think that uh, I think that the the film schools that really go out of their way to provide uh, a great network for you do put people in a in a good advantage uh, situation. I know that USC, at least in Los Angeles, has done a very good job of. Um, creating those networks. Uh, but I would, I would say that you, you are exposed to different forms of, of artistic, uh, you know, of, 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 you're, you're going to see more, uh, I think, experimental and, and uh, underrepresented work if you're going to NYU, in my experience, than um, some of the other schools, because they really seek that, seek that out. But, yeah. I mean, I feel very strongly that there are so many life skills that I did not learn when I was in, <laughs> when I was in college at all. Like, I think we had, at least when I went, 
uh, to undergraduate uh, dramatic writing in my in that program, we only had I think an afternoon class on how to pitch, for, oh. and it was the entire oh, no. program. So it was I think it was all sixty or seventy of us students in one class for an afternoon, and that's one of the most important things you need to learn how to do. So um, you know it might have changed since then, but I would say a little bit of a little bit of both that you're exposed to a lot of wonderful things, you meet a lot of great people who are useful, not just in the fact that they can help you with your career, but also can remind you that you're not going crazy when <laughs> very weird in yeah. Hollywood. But um, but yeah, I would say in terms of actual life skills, you don't need to go you don't need to go to film school. You can learn a lot of that just through um, experience and practice. Yeah, it, it seems. Also, I mean, you, you touched on this. It seems that going going to school in New York, you know, it, it exposed you to more than just Hollywood, more than just the film industry. You know, you, you were also there. You, if you wanted to as a student, you could also, you know, touch into theater, into publishing, into television. You know, some of these things that might not be as accessible if you were in Hollywood or on the West Coast. Absolutely. I would say that there were a lot of inspirational sources in the city, and, and a, a lot of it was what you made of it, but I had mm-hmm. um, fantastic art history teachers and really wonderful playwriting teachers, and so I was exposed to a lot of different forms of art that I think were really um, helpful. Yeah. Um, so your script for when you when you came, worked on Guardians, um, that came, out, came about as a result of your involvement with the Marvel writing program. Um, That's right, yeah. Which as far as I know, doesn't exist anymore. But what, what can you tell us about that? Like, how did you originally get hooked up with that program and what sort of, what was the day-to-day like there? Right. Well, I, I will tell you what that's like, but actually, interestingly enough, they restarted it. Um, really? Oh, a few wow. months ago. Yeah. I, I was surprised to find that out because I had sort of assumed that they, they wouldn't have uh, a lot of extra bandwidth um, or room in their, in their slate, but it looks like they're, they're starting it up again. Um, hmm. But yes, my uh, my experience was a good one, especially because it led to Guardians. But it was it's a different program than a lot of these, um, you know, like Warner Brothers or Lionsgate, which have their own um, which have their own kind of programs. It, it's less curated. I think it's a lot of, you know, here are here's a list of projects. If you like one of them, go run with it and show us what you've got when you've developed it. You know, um, yeah. with no guarantee that anything will get made or that it will move forward. But it's it's actually a very safe space to, you know, experiment and play with some of these characters. Um, yeah, I mean, and honestly, some of the best friends that I have in Hollywood I made from my time mm-hmm. there. Wow. So was the program something you can just apply to or does Marvel find you and handpick people for it? Uh, Marvel handpicks people for it. It's definitely right. not. Uh, it's not an open application. Uh, the way that I got into it was, I had a, a general meeting with Marvel because I uh, they liked my writing samples and mm-hmm. they'd seen other projects that I had sold, um, and they they just had a general meeting with me and um, and I told them how I really wanted to get into writing uh, some more sort of fun uh, blockbuster and action, you know, some of the adventure genres that I enjoy so much. And they were, uh, they were, they were like, Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Well, we're, we're running this program. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to uh, apply for it, they, so they invited me to apply and you have to go through a pretty rigorous, uh, 
process where you pitch and, and you sort of show them that you are uh, nimble in your ability to take notes and uh, do all the stuff that you have to do while you're in the program. And, and yeah, it was great. But that was, you know, that was back in 2009. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so I was in the program for two years, and then they brought me back to do uh, more freelance work on Guardians after the program ended. From what I understand, reading up on it and your experience with it, uh, you were basically presented with a list of of characters, and they basically said, "Okay, pick one," and then you were given the freedom to write a screenplay with whoever you chose. Is is that accurate, more or less? Yeah, I mean, basically, they I was the second person into the program, um, and so uh, there was a list of about a dozen characters, and um, and I went through them all and decided that Guardians felt like. The, the kind of story I was most interested in writing and I didn't want to do a, an origin story and I didn't really want to do a, uh, you know, a more straightforward hero, a superhero genre film. And um, Guardians was, you know, very fun, like a really poppy, sarcastic tone that I loved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also it just, it felt like uh, as, as ungrounded as the subject matter is, it felt very grounded because the character's, their powers came from a very organic place. Um, yeah. And I liked the idea of it being more of a uh, an origin story of how this team came to be rather than how one person became powerful. Yeah. Did the did the relative obscurity of those characters also play a role? I mean, did, did you feel like oh, this could really free me up creatively to tell a story within Marvel's existing sandbox but not be weighted down with people's preconceived ideas about what those characters should be? Absolutely, yeah. And, and they gave me pretty much a free hand when, when I was, I mean, part of it was probably because uh, there was no guarantee that this was ever going to end up on their slate. So they kind mm-hmm. of said, you know, do go, go nuts, write whatever you want to write, have fun with it. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it felt, it felt very free and I, I've never received any uh, negative feedback about how the characters were portrayed, even though yeah. I ended up changing a fair amount, you know, in terms of changing Peter Quill's backstory and, mm-hmm. Um, Drax's backstory, and um, there, so there really was uh, a fair amount of reinvention that was done, but it, I surprisingly have not received uh, any negative comments about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, partially because a lot of the the fans, I had I had some fans come up at Comic Con and tell me that they were just so happy to see the characters brought to life that they never thought they would get their own movie. <laughs> but they were they were really <laughs> they were really pleased um, with that. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Are are you free to say who some of those other characters on that list were? I am not. <laughs> I'm oh, not free man. to say, but I will say that some of those characters have ended up um, being brought to screen uh, okay. uh, by by yeah. other people. Okay. Um, but I, I don't think I am free to say what those characters <laughs> were. Worth a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, like you said, this was 2009, and at that point. Only two films had been released by Marvel Studios. Um, I mean, obviously, you didn't know that anything that you were writing at that point was ever going to be produced, was ever going to you know make it to the screen. But how much of a sense did you or the other people in the program have that Marvel was really ramping up to build this huge interconnected universe? Well, you know, while I was in the program, uh, well, Iron Man 2 was shooting in my building, and then Thor was shooting in the, because we were down in Manhattan Beach Studios at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there was just the sense that everything that they were rolling out was doing really well. 
um, and there was a hunger for it, and that the brand was really being established. So I think, you know, they were they were only releasing a couple movies a year, so there was this, this sense of, well, you know, there's Captain America, there's the Avengers, there's all these things that have yet to come out. Like, when are they going to get around to, you know, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy, which to right. me felt like a very far-flung uh, down, very far down the list project. So I was very thrilled when they uh, when they said they were greenlighting it. Um, but it was uh, it, it was definitely kind of a dream, you know. I mean, and it wasn't like we were just working on those one project that we that we each chose. Um, we all had secondary projects that we were tinkering with, and um, and I did some some uh, um, sort of script doctor work on Thor. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of that. Um, that that went around. So it, you know they kept us busy, but it was uh, a lot of it was unsupervised, and you know you work on your own schedule and um, do as many drafts as you want. And in a way, it was very luxurious because as yeah. a screenwriter, you're usually stacking projects. You know, I think I've got four or five projects um, on my slate at the moment, and you're just constantly uh, jumping from one thing to the other. And, and it, it was really nice just to be able to sit and dive in deep um, on Guardians. It seems like it's almost sort of like a dream situation there. Yeah, it was. I and mean, it was a little, uh, I think it's it's a little hard when you're writing and you don't know exactly where it's going to fit in. That's one of the reasons I kept um, Guardians in space for the most part is I just didn't know when it would take place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wanted it to be modular so it could be sort of um, inserted at will. Yeah. Um, and it worked perfectly so that way too. Yeah, yeah, it worked really well. I was, I was happy with how it turned out. Yeah. Um, it was also, I mean, it was your first produced script, correct? Yes. That seems like one heck of a way to start out. I mean, how quickly did things change for you professionally? I mean, did, like, once that was greenlit and, and it started, things started rolling, I mean, did you see a change overnight, basically? Or was it just sort of all slow coming? I mean, I know now you're involved in about a thousand things at once, but... That must have just been a whirlwind of a time, right? You know, when it between when it was greenlit and when it came out for you. Well, it was interesting. I handed in my my last draft on it in 2012, um, and then you know it started shooting in 2013. And it came out in 2014, um, so it was it, it was weird, you know. It, it was there was about a year and a half where um, where people knew I had written a script that was going into production and. That it was, uh, you know, had a, it was a Marvel movie, and there was a talking raccoon in it, and all this stuff. But nobody really <laughs> knew what to make of it, and yeah. so there were a lot of people who were like, "Well, hopefully, it's not a huge failure," you know. And <laughs> it was, uh, and and trying to explain the the plot to people, they were like, "I don't know," you know. Um, but it was uh, so. So I was working, and you know, I was doing lots of work during that time. But I think people didn't quite know what to make of this project um, after the movie came out. You know, it did. Things did ramp up pretty um, mm-hmm. insanely. It was it just it just got to be very uh, overwhelming, really. And um, I was already working on other projects, and I, I needed to get a little space so that I could finish all my all my deadlines. Um, so that was actually one of the reasons that I moved up to San Francisco. It's just like, hey, I can fly in for the meetings that are necessary, uh, and I can just have a little bit of emotional yeah. buffer from uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, it's probably a very wise move. More people yeah. should probably do this, would be my guess. <laughs> yes, definitely. I have to know, 
you're first you're sitting there in the darkened theater and the movie comes on and you hear lines or you see the story that you wrote what what is that feeling like it must have been exhilarating the first time you know it was i would say even before that when i when i went to the set uh in london and i was walking around and seeing like spaceships and you know the mm-hmm. cantina and and all these uh you know being on the set at nowhere it's just it was like wow this is really weird it's just a weird <laughs> thing to to uh walk into like a physical incarnation of something that you uh just kind of imagined or or rather adapted from the comic books but put into uh into reality it was i, I will say that the thing that was very mind-blowing and strange was the opening scene for Guardians where um, Quill is walking through the landscape with the geysers and, the, you know, the water has been drained away. And, like, that that was really cool for me because that, that, was, a, um, that was a landscape that I had uh, envisioned because my when I was very, very young, I went to Disneyland and they were um, renovating or cleaning that sort of uh, fi- that Nemo. I think it's finding yeah, Nemo it- now, but it was like 20,000 leagues under the yep. sea. And, mm-hmm. And so I saw the uh, the weird landscape, and and it always stuck with me of like what it looks like when the water's been drained away. So seeing seeing that brought to life uh, with Quill was really a, a a huge a huge thrill. So um, it was cool. But I have to admit, my palms were really sweaty, and uh, <laughs> it was it was really strange. It was a strange feeling. <laughs> just just hoping inside, like oh, I hope it's not a failure, like everybody thinks. <laughs> right, right. I know, just like into my seat like okay here we go <laughs> uh you mentioned you know working on thor as a little bit of a script doctor and you were brought in to rewrite some of natalie portman's dialogue as jane foster to to sort of make sure the science and the tech rolled off the tongue smoothly um i have to ask do you have a script inside of you for a film with the jane foster version of thor um, you know, I've never thought about it. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if Natalie Portman is is attached to do more movies or not. Um, I, I loved her character. I thought she's a great, a really fantastic character, and she really brought um, Jane Foster to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I never really it hasn't been um, it hasn't really been one of the projects that I've that I've dreamt yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. Um, the projects that you are working on, though, is right now you're work, you're doing the Gamora ongoing for Marvel. How did that come about? Uh, well, they called me up and they said, "Listen, we're doing, we're giving uh, Guardians characters their own." And this was a while ago, by the way. Yeah. This was like I think I think this was in the fall of 2014, maybe. Oh, it, was, wow. it was a long time ago. And they said, uh, "We're giving Guardians characters their individual runs. Is there anybody you're really interested in?" Uh, one, one or two of them had been taken already. Um, and uh, I think it was Bill Roseman who, who called me, um, and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I think that Gamora's backstory is really interesting. And he's like, oh, good, I was hoping you'd say that, um, because that was who I think he had been hoping I would take. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we started talking about it, but I had a lot of different editors come and go before I ever actually got to write um, the the project, because there was a lot of sort of shake-up with the editorial staff, um, during that time period. So I think I had like four or five editors on that project before I really (laughs) got a chance to actually sit down and write it. So it got pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, And then when they, when it was available, I was super busy on some of my other projects. So it kind of was a little bit of a, having to make sure the windows all lined up and the stars aligned. Um, But then, 
yeah, so I, 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 that's how it came about. And they said, you know, we have this many, ep- uh, this many issues we're offering you. And I said, great. Um, after a certain point, they said, we want to keep, have you keep doing more? And <laughs> it, it really is hard with, with the schedule that I'm, that I'm on. So, so we'll see, uh, we'll see how many I end up doing, but, um, but I've been having a really incredible experience, uh, uh, writing it and my artist is just so fantastic and um, and it's been very helpful uh, you know from a, a directing standpoint because I'm, I'm starting to go explore uh, directing which I haven't done since I was in film school um, as, as a uh, you know put my dip my toe into that pool mm-hmm. and um, I, I find that writing comic books is you know, it really helps you think visually. It helps you really consider the pacing in a way that's different than when you're writing a screenplay, you know, Um, even though they should be the same. I think it it brings those two mindsets closer together. Um, And uh, just making sure that your, that your visuals are are, are dynamic and, and, uh, and really trying to tell as much information as you can uh, without using dialogue um, you know, so Mark is like, you are giving me so much detail in all of these panels. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll try to, but that has been the hardest thing. It's just been to, uh, to scale back and, and yeah. let Marco do his thing. Cause he's such an incredibly talented artist. Um, yeah. but it has been, uh, it has been a really great experience. Yeah. The books are gorgeous. I mean, he's been, Marco's doing a fantastic job, but I, I mean, that's, I wanted to ask you about that is, you know, it, it, it is a shift, you know, from writing a, a feature length screenplay to breaking up a story into 22 page chunks was that was that collaboration and that visual a little bit more visual nature of the of that medium was that difficult for you to adapt to or did it take a little while yeah i think it's i think it's i'm starting to hit the, my stride with it um, yeah one of the things that's hard about it is you know just pace you pick and choose which moments you're going to um focus on in, in a way like uh you know i, I I've been trying to read, I, I read a lot of comics anyway, but I've been trying to read um, sort of books about how to, um, really how to tell a story in as much visual economy as possible um, yeah. while still choosing specific moments to pull out. You know, because obviously in a screenplay, you would you would say the phone rings, uh, your protagonist picks up and speaks into the phone, but with a, with a you know, that's like one sentence, but... Mm-hmm. In a comic book, that that's multiple panels. I mean, you could spend an entire an entire page on just the phone being ringing and being picked up, um, and so you uh, you really have to choose wisely um, with the pacing. And I, I did find that it was it was you know you have to make a lot of tough decisions about emotional moments, like which which are you going to play up, which are you not going to play up, and and what can you skip without losing the audience in terms of uh, some of those interstitial panels. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been it's been very challenging, um, but it really it's like a good muscle to uh, to flex. I'll bet. So as of today, the first two issues of Gamora have been released. How far into the future do you have already planned? Um, I have planned through the fifth issue so far. Okay. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll is, <laughs> is, I have a very busy. I have a. I'm. I'm. Uh, I have my deadline for uh, multiple projects. I have a going on. I have uh, four projects due in the, in the next four months. So wow, it's, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a juggling act, I'm sure. Is, yeah, is, so I'm kind of trying to balance it all out. Is writing for Gamora though a bit like v- revisiting an old friend? 
Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I, I, I felt that there was a, um, uh, a missing story there. You know, I felt that we, we knew where she came from and we knew where she, we know where she is now, but there was always kind of this hazy period where it's like, and then at some point she decided she wanted to be good, you know, or that she wanted to explore what it meant to be good. And, um, and that I, I wanted to explore the moments, the catalyst of who the person was in Gamora's life that set her on this path uh, towards doubting what, uh, what she'd been doing with Thanos up to that point. Yeah. So we all have those people in our lives, and, and I wanted to explore that relationship of who that person was for yeah. Gamora. Oh, it's great. The I mean, obviously, I've only read the first two issues, but it's, you know, on top of the art being beautiful, the story is just really compelling, too. I mean, you've obviously, you know, the character because you wrote the film, but it's like I, I feel like we're really going deep into her into her mind to see, you know, like how she became the character that we see on screen or how, you know, the, the one that we know a little bit better. Thank you. That's that was my that was my goal. And I'm, uh, hopefully it will um, it will still be a fun and uh, emotional roller coaster for the next few yeah. uh, issues good 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 looking forward to them i know you can't talk much about captain marvel but we have to ask you anyway um okay. i wonder how the experience writing that film compared to writing guardians because with guardians you spent a couple of years developing the script that you never really knew would go anywhere you never knew if it was going to get made you never knew if it was going to see the light of day but with Captain Marvel, I have to imagine that all the stakes were raised and the pressure was just a thousand percent more. Yeah, I would say it's a different kind of pressure in a sense because, um, you know, you're waiting. We were hired, Meg and I were hired a long time ago, but we didn't actually have our marching orders uh, until much more recently. So it was, um, I think there's, Marvel is a little bit of a house of cards in the sense that everything influences everything around it, you mm -hmm. know, even if it's very modular. So um, figuring out where the story fits in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, influences things as well. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry to talk so vaguely. It's just I have, yeah, to, be, uh, I have to be very cautious. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it is, uh, you know, and there are, there are, she's an incredible character, you know, but I, I will also say that, that since Marvel's done so many movies already, you, you really have to go out of your way to make sure that her story is fresh and doesn't um, borrow too heavily from any of the other films that are going on or, or, or feel, um, you know, she's, a, she's an incredibly strong and wonderful hero, uh, but all the Marvel characters are heroes, right? Like, so you, you just figuring out how to bring her to life in a way that is unique to her story uh, and also honoring the canon and also, you know, figuring out the roles that she needs to play with yeah. everything else that's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a little bit of a, of a twister game. So, um, yeah. so it's been, whereas with Guardians, it was very free. It was kind of like sky's the limit, you know, try bringing in this character or leaving that character out or, you know, and it was, and there was less of that, um, that crushing time pressure. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that, uh, with with Captain Marvel, it's been um, it's been trying to really figure out who Carol Danvers is and um, and how to um, just tell a story that fulfills all the the structural needs of, of of who she is, but also really channels the spirit of who um, this incredibly powerful and inspiring person is. So yeah. uh, that has been mm -hmm. that has been the challenge. But I will say it's probably you know, it's it's 
I don't think it's ever been as thoughtful in in considering all the different angles um, of, of a story as I've been in this version of the in this set. Uh, Marvel project. It's also no secret that it'll, it will be the first female-led Marvel film. Did that put a lot of weight on your shoulders as well when writing it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's definitely a um, I think there's a tendency to um, you know have that back and forth conversation of should it affect the story at all? Should right. it affect the writing? You know, I, I've had people say, oh, you should just write her like you'd write you know, anybody and just ignore the fact that she's a woman. And I'm just kind of like, well, what, what is that supposed to mean? You know, she's a person. She's a, like, uh, you know, that's, uh, I don't know. So I, I think that making sure that we're not writing that, that, that Marvel, Captain Marvel is not somebody who is a hero in spite of her femininity right. uh, is, is really important. Like she is a, uh, she is a very strong character and that's and her being a woman is part of that strength. So, yeah. Um, I, w- I will say that it um, there are certain tropes that I think you can get away without having to examine too much mm-hmm. if you're not writing the first female um, Marvel Studios uh, lead, but uh, that 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 could be read into a lot um, or could diminish her own proactivity and her own strength and independence. So I, there are things that you wouldn't think twice about for Iron Man, but you might think twice about for Captain Marvel, which I know it's a little bit of a reverse sexism, but yeah. but really I think that extra, taking the extra care and just being like, is this the best possible version of this trope or this story yeah. that we could use is, is required. Yeah. I know the uh, politics of Hollywood are, are sometimes on par with international relations, but um, <laughs> what were your thoughts as, you know, as candidly as you are able to express them when um, Captain Marvel got pushed by almost a year to accommodate another Spider-Man? You know, I, I didn't, um, I don't think I got offended or anything like that. I, I understand that so much of this is about, marketing schedules and, you know, things that have very little to do with, um, with the story or the characters. It, it's very much a, you know, especially having the experience of Sony and Marvel coming together and collaborating yeah. in this way, it's, there's a lot going on. It is a giant business and, um, things get shifted around for reasons that have nothing to do really with, uh, creative reasons necessarily. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's a kind of like, well, that's unfortunate. It's too bad, but I'm going with the flow, and and uh, and hopefully it will just allow more time for the project to be fantastic. Yeah. As of um, today, only Brie Larson has been announced um, in terms of casting, and I know uh, within certain circles there was a little bit of a controversy when she was announced because she is in her twenties, the act, the, you know, the actual woman, um, but the character of Carol is already a colonel with quite a history behind her. I mean, she worked for the Air Force, she worked for NASA. Um, by the time she became Captain Marvel, so um, I'm wondering if. Again, you probably have to skirt around the answer, but when you were writing the character, were you writing it with a younger actor in mind, or were you writing it with as that that character that we tend to think of that has that 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 history behind her? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, I had a consult yesterday um, <clears throat> with the Air Force because um, I do a lot of projects with the Air Force or involving the Air Force, and and I and I brought up. Um, some of these age issues, and, and they said that it actually was not 
uh, out of the realm of possibility that somebody could be very, very accomplished in the Air Force you know, between the ages of 28 and 34, um, and that there's a lot of, you can really uh, go very far in that time. So, um, you know, I don't think that the age is going to be an issue. Um, also, obviously, by the time the movie comes out and, and the shooting is finished, like, Brie is older sure. than she was when she was first announced. So sure. I actually think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fine. Well, let's talk about Pokemon for a bit then. Um, you're working on the screenplay for Detective Pikachu with Alex Hirsch, who we've had on our show before. And how did you move from science fiction to Pokemon? You know, I, I think one of the... Um, one of the things that's interesting in Hollywood is that you get uh, a reputation for doing certain kinds of things or bringing uh, certain elements to a story. Uh, so somebody might be brought in because they're great with uh, character or they're great with heart or they're great with, you know, uh, structure or theme. And it's a little it's kind of silly to be, to, to chop people up into these um, specific almost tools in a toolbox, but for very large Hollywood movies, there's a tendency to bring in a lot of different writers who have different strengths. And so I think the reason that, that Pokemon appealed to me was because I really enjoy world building and I enjoy taking um, kind of a difficult concept like Guardians uh, and establishing a lot in a very small or a very short amount of time. Um, and so with Pokemon, it was, it was kind of a similar situation where I was, I was drawn to the challenge of like, all right, this is a, you know, this is a very specific and unique world. Uh, we don't want to spend an enormous amount of time trying to set it up and explain all the rules, but we still, you know, it's, it's a, uh, we want it to feel alive and vibrant. So that was, that was the draw for me was that challenge of, uh, of coming in and, and trying to create uh, a, a world that felt real. Were you a fan of the property? Like, did you, were you, I don't know, Pokemon's been around for ages. So, I mean, were you, when you were younger, were you a Pokemon fan? No, I wasn't. And that's, that's why I was like, it is really important to me that I am with a writer who, who lives and breathes you know, Pokemon, <laughs> which, is, which is why I, I went, when I was Alex, I was like, okay, as long as it's Alex, like, that's, <laughs> like I can't, you know, that is, that is really key because, uh, cause he really lives and breathes Pokemon. So he knows everything about it. Um, and he's just a wonderful, such a wonderful guy. And we had, you know, we've had many, many good times during this process, but it is, uh, you know, it's a pretty massive, um, uh, property. And, and so it's, it's definitely a group effort. <laughs> so I will, it's all I will say on that, on that front, but there is a, uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of elements that need to be taken into consideration with, with it. And it is, uh, it is again, one of these situations where it's not like, not like guardians where I kind of had free reign to just do what I wanted for the first couple of years. Uh, mm -hmm. but I think the, uh, I think it's going to be really fun, and, and Rob Letterman is awesome and has such a wonderful uh, visual, um, you know, has so much experience with really bringing out the visual uh, fun. Like, in, I thought Goosebumps was great. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a fun process and a challenge, um, and that's why I signed up for it. Yeah. It, you say you like world building, and I think it's pretty clear. If you look just looking at the projects that you've you've taken on, you know, from Marvel, which is this huge sprawling universe to, to Pokemon, which has hundreds of characters and all these these years of history behind it. And you're also involved with the, you know, the so-called Hasbro cinematic user universe. I mean, were those decisions that you made intentionally because they were these huge universes that you could really get into the weeds and really 
world build and, and really develop? Or has it just sort of been coincidental that those are the things that have come your way? You know, it's, I don't say yes to everything that comes my way. It's actually, I've been saying no to a lot. Um, the Hasbro uh, thing was really, a, it was actually just a really fun experience because you meet so many wonderful writers. Um, you know, I got to become friends with Michael Chabon and Brian K. Vaughn and, uh, you know, Joe Cole and I were already friends from Marvel, but, um, you know, it, it's just, you, you really get to meet wonderful, wonderful people. Like um, two of my favorite Actually, three of my favorite female screenwriters in Hollywood I met from the Hasbro room, uh, Geneva Robertson-Dwarrett, Nicole Regal, and Lindsay Beer. And it's like, I, I mean, the amount of fun that we had just um, getting together as a big group and, and crafting stories together was really one of the highlights of my year last year. Um, so I would say, you know, those kinds of situations are uh, – are fun, and if, if I have time in my schedule, one of the things that's nice about them is they're, they're kind of a beginning and an end, whereas mm-hmm. other projects can just go on and on for years, and there's something nice about being like you're being brought in for this many weeks to do this specific thing, and uh, and so I think a lot of writers enjoy that, and they enjoy getting out of their, you know, their little room in their office where, they, where they're by, you know, you're by yourself most of the time, yeah. and you get to be in a room with, with other people. Um, so uh, that was a big part of, of why I did that. But, it, you know, it is, it is very fun to, um, to get a group of talented people together and, and toss ideas around. Um, yeah. yeah, and I learn a lot, too. I, I've learned so much from, um, from the people that I've, I've met, uh, especially in the last couple of years. It's been um, a really wonderful experience. And those Hasbro films, when when the writers were announced, I think it kind of blew everybody away. And they they went from films that were sort of, you know, people kind of questioned, like, oh, do we really need those? To suddenly it was, oh, these are films to watch. Look at, I mean, that's quite a caliber of of writing talent that they threw behind those films. Um, So, I mean, I I can only imagine, you know, working with some of those people and just, you know, even if you're an established writer with films behind you, you're going to be you're going to learn a lot just as a matter of course. Definitely. Definitely. Can, we all got along pretty well. So. Yeah. Can Can you give an update on what's happening with those films, or are you sort of locked down on that as well? I'm kind of locked out on that. Yeah. I mean, IDW IDW is currently has a you know they've got a the Revolution comics and the comics with all of those same characters setting up that universe. Um, I'm just wondering, will the films be tied to the comics at all, or are they going to more or less stand alone? I, you know, I, I'm not really qualified to speak on that. I know that when we were doing The Room in May last year, uh, we weren't talking about the, the comics world. So okay. I'm not sure um, how, those, how those necessarily interweave. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of different ways of, uh, of telling stories in the, in the film world. You know, the, uh, the, the experience of... of being on Marvel is very different than the experience of writing other studio films, which is also very different from being in a, a feature screenwriter's room, which is also different from being, uh, you know, writing, uh, you know, for television, which is also a whole new world to me, um, which I'm, I'm going to be doing, writing a pilot for Amazon uh, in the next mm-hmm. month or so. So, you know, there, there's just every, every experience is really separate um, from the other, but, it is. Uh, it's been a really wild ride. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I understand you were a juror at Sundance this year. What was that like? 
Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. It, it was really wonderful. Uh, it was just the best Sundance <laughs> I've ever had, actually. Because I went, I went to, um, I was asked to be a creative advisor at the Screenwriting Labs um, this year, which take place at the Mountain Resort, about 45 minutes away from Park City. And um, you know, you spend a week in this beautiful resort with a dozen fantastic screenwriters and a dozen um, fellows who are there to have their screenplays sort of picked apart <laughs> by the creative advisors. And, you know, bless their hearts, they really, they're, they're brave and they're strong and they're smart and they're talented and they, they really, uh, they withstood the, the storm of, uh, of attention and um, criticism. <laughs> Mostly very constructive. I mean, everybody was very supportive, but that's, that's kind of the, the purpose of the labs. You, right. you run the gauntlet. Um, but it was a wonderful experience and they do such good work there. Um, and then, uh, and then I went straight from that into being a juror, uh, for the Sloan Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, which, um, gives out a prize for science and film. And so I, I actually got to be on a jury with some of my friends who are sci- female scientists. Well, it was an all-women. It was an all-women jury. It just kind of worked out that way. Which oh, wow. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, so uh, that was an incredibly uh, enjoyable experience because we, we got all-access passes, and we had drivers, and we got to <laughs> see anything we wanted to see. And it was, it was really great. So I... Uh, I, I, it is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I highly recommend it. But, um, yeah, it, going to Sundance is like filling the well, you know? Like, you, you're a writer, and you, 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 you put information out into the world constantly, but you have to be exposed to great art just so that you can fill that well and, and just mm-hmm. have things percolate, and, and you never know. Like, but if you get burnt out, and you're just constantly producing content, you're not sort of exposing yourself to... Um, sources of inspiration or things that kind of blow your mind or, or spiritually nourishing, then, you know, it's very easy for that well to run dry. So I really try to, to make a, um, an effort to, to carve out some space um, to have my mind blown. And by the way, I saw a great movie called Patty Cakes uh, at Sundance, which I highly recommend. And it's like, it's just such a life affirming, great film. And when it hits theaters, I'm sure in like a year, you know, everybody should watch it. It was awesome. great. I, we we need all the life affirming art we can take right now. Quite honestly, <laughs> um, you're you're also in a directing fellowship right now. You mentioned that. What's involved with that? Um, that is the Cinereach Directing Fellowship, and it is a um, sort of a small uh, program um, that is based in New York City. And Cinereach is a uh, really wonderful. Uh, film funding organization that's, that does a lot of stuff with Sundance. They actually uh, funded part of Patty Cakes, I believe. Um, but they also were involved with the, uh, with Robert Eggers' The Witch, which was wonderful, um, and I, the, the Fits, which came out last year, which was also great, and uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, so they give a lot of money to these programs. I think um, they've uh, given grants to Barry Jenkins, who did Moonlight. Like They're really just a wonderful company, and so um, you know, I went through this whole application process and I was invited to apply and I thought there's no way I'm going to be in, get into this incredibly prestigious uh, fellowship because I haven't directed anything since right. film school. But um, I fortunately, uh, I, I talked my way in. So um, <laughs> there, uh, the, the, the goal is everybody has their own project that they're specifically working on and um, they're sort of shepherding that experience and, and giving you what you need to make it a reality. Um, wow. 
and a lot of that's like emotional or inspirational or you should talk to this location scout who did a movie that you loved so you can um, brainstorm ideas you know they're they're just really very sensitive and and thoughtful and and it's been a, a really wonderful experience it sounds amazing. It sounds very similar to how you were describing the Marvel, the writing program. And it's, you know, they're just there to sort of inspire you and help you along the way to creating what it is that you want to do. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, you have to have a vision and you have to drive that vision forward on your own. And I'd say that those two things are, are definitely the, um, are, are things that are similar about both, both programs. Yeah. And, you know, if you go in there not knowing what you want to do, you're not going to have uh, as solid or as fulfilling as an experience sure. as having this dream of, of what your vision could be. Sure. And so you're, you're work. do you have a project that you're working on or do you just I sort do. of? I do, yeah. yeah. I um, actually, I optioned the rights to a New Yorker short story from about 10 years ago um, that I loved. And I've just, you know, it's been one of these dream projects in the back of my mind for, for years. And I, uh, it's a very grounded science fiction short story. So I'm, uh, I'm going to be developing that. And I think I'm doing a proof of concept first, uh, towards the end of the year. When, once I have some stuff off my plate, nice. um, what, studio films. Yeah. what's the story? Um, it is called the slows and it is written by Gail Harriven, who is an Israeli science fiction writer. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I kind of, people should just look it up. It's actually available if you, if you Google it. Um, but it is about a, uh, a bureaucratic sort of, uh, I wouldn't call it a dystopian future, but a future in which, um, the experience of raising a child or, or childhood in general has been sort of deemed, um, almost like a, a savage thing to do to a person. And so they've eradicated it and also not a very productive element of society. And so it, it's a really interesting look at sort of what what it means to be human and what it means to have been a child and to raise a child and all of that. I mean, it's just a really, but the, the thing that I love about it is it's not saccharine at all. And it's from mm-hmm. the perspective of the bureaucrat who is, hmm. who is uh, sort of fighting the, uh, you know, his perspective is the unpopular perspective. And it, it, I just love that he puts you in these very uncomfortable, these places emotionally that are very uncomfortable because you're, you're almost, you almost agree with him. And then that's always, <laughs> you know, I love, I love when you're, when you're forced to really like step away from uh, the obvious emotional gut response to something and have to kind of question what, um, what you really feel. Yeah. Uh, I love the, the, the documentary capturing the Freedmen's for this reason too, because you're so, you're so sure that you know exactly how you feel about the subject. And then it like turns you on your face and you're like, Oh yeah. crap. Well, what do I really think about this? And, <laughs> yeah. I love, I love, I love movies like that. So um, yeah, so that's, that's the project I'm going to be developing. That's awesome. I'm going to go find that right after we get off yep. this call and I'm, we're, we'll link to it too. So other people can scope it out too. Um, before before we got on the line, you had mentioned that you're always happy to plug the Science and Entertainment Exchange. So here's your chance. And but to be oh, honest, wonderful. I hadn't even heard of it before, but it, I went to the website and it looks so fascinating. So what what is what is it and what is your involvement with it? I am on the steering committee for the Science and Entertainment Exchange, which is a uh, program that the, is involved with the National Academy of Sciences, and uh, they get go- they get funding from Google and from Howard Hughes Medical Institute and a lot of other places. But 
They are a free service to anybody who is working in film and television, um, and they have uh, just a massive network in Los Angeles, but also in New York. And they, their, their whole purpose is to provide free consultations in any science branch, uh, even like social sciences or psychology. It doesn't have to be like chemistry or physics. It can be all sorts of different things. Um, to anybody who's doing a film or television project um, and want to try and either incorporate more real science or bounce ideas around with scientists. Uh, and they have just an incredible uh, roster of people to speak to. Uh, and so you can call them up. Uh, I think I even know the number by heart. It's 1-800, it's a little silly, 1-800-NEED-SCI. SCI. That's um, amazing. But they're, they're wonderful people. And my, one of my dearest friends is the, is the uh, director of it in Los Angeles. Um, and what they do is they not not just consultations, but once you're kind of in the family, they they uh, invite you to events. They have frequent events, like really just awesome salons in both New York and uh, Los Angeles, where you get all these different interesting scientists together to talk about things like, you know, uh, sociopaths or um, you know, missions to Mars or anything that's really just a great and fertile uh, source of story. Um, and they also sometimes arrange field trips, which are really cool. So, yes, that, it's fantastic. It's free. People should use it. That does sound yes, amazing. Did you did you um, did you take advantage of it while writing Gamora for the for the uh, like the black hole and the effects of that? You know, I did. I uh, a bit more casually because I've met a lot of astrophysicists through yeah. my experiences with. Um, actually, I think you guys might have talked to one of them. Uh, you, you know Summer Ash, right? Did she come and talk to you guys? She, no, like, we haven't talked to her yet. You haven't talked to her yet. Okay, I don't know who I'm thinking of. Um, but uh, she's a, a wonderful uh, friend of mine, and um, uh, she's helped me out on Gamora, and uh, I've had many of them, uh, of the various scientists that I've met, help me for my projects, and um, they're fun, man. They have great, yeah. great imaginations and senses of humor. It's, it's a wonderful thing. That's great. Nicole, I know we've taken so much of your time, but thank you so much. This has just been a fascinating. It's really, I mean, I love talking to people who have such great insight, and this was such an insightful conversation. So I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. So the Pokemon movie, do you know, is that going to be a wide release? As far as I know, yeah. yeah. So it's it's based on a video game. There's okay. this video game called Detective Pikachu. And the game is, from what I understand, it's already out in Japan. I'm not sure if it's been released here in the States or here in North America, I should say. Um, but uh, it's going to be a... Yeah, I mean, I should probably know this a little bit more, but the information on it is really <laughs> spotty right now. Right, I think right. it's still days for the film they haven't started production on it uh, um, okay so she's I, i'm sure they've got a script but she and alex were working it's still very early days um but yes it will be a wide release film that's going to be released here and i'm assuming will go mm-hmm. nuts in japan well i never i never i was never a pokemon fan growing up and but my son isaac is a big one because the game came out and now he's uh, like he's watching all of the episodes on netflix and you know, he know I I don't know anything about Pokemon other than I know Pikachu. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. it. That's all I know. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but he, I know he's gonna go crazy. He doesn't know there's a movie coming. He's gonna go crazy when I tell him. He's gonna 
blow his yeah. mind. <laughs> I was never a fan either. Like I know, yeah, I know Pikachu. I know the Pokeballs and Ash. Yep. It's a, the kid's name. That's all I know. My kids somehow. I mean, kid. I don't know how they learn about these things, but they somehow know. Mm-hmm. They picked up a few cards at school, so they know who these characters are, and they've watched a few of them. Like they're on Amazon or Netflix or wherever, so they found them and they've watched a few of the older episodes. And we have actually the the there's there were three theatrical movies believe oh, it or okay. not okay i didn't know that there's yeah it's pokemon i don't know the second one is pokemon it's pokemon the movie i don't think the second one's pokemon 2 and then there's pokemon 2000 which is the third one okay so we have like the trilogy we have the blu-ray nice. trilogy and my kids have watched, watched the first two of them and i sat down i was like oh, i've never watched it i'll watch it with you oh man <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon is an acquired taste, <laughs> and I don't have the taste. I think. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you do marathons of the trilogy? <laughs> oh, oh my god, no! Um, so you know, the kids love it. I tolerate it. Um, right. I, I'm a, I'm imagining Detective Pikachu with Alex Hirsch and yeah. Nicole Perlman behind it is gonna have a very it's different flavor different. than what we've seen. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. And during our interview, she mentioned that she highly recommends being Sundance jurors. So we can do that. <laughs> that can be our next that that to my test. Yeah, we'll yeah. do it. Great big, beautiful gonna... podcast on the jury. Yeah, I'm working on that for 2018. <laughs> okay, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back week after week. If you haven't subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Hit subscribe. I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB podcast. So send a tweet to her uncanny girl on Twitter. And I am Justin at 140 Justin C. I am Jamie at the Roarbots. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. 